Hello. Welcome to Tales of a Latin Mommy, the ultimate guide to rebuilding a financial foundation. The podcast that inspires you to change your relationship with money and motivates you to rebuild your financial foundation. I'm your host, Melanie Arce. Last time on Tales of a Latin Mommy, Scott Conway has been a lawyer for 30 years, is the author of more than 50 books, including The Ohana Way 2.0, 30th anniversary edition. The Ohana Way is a way of being. Ohana is a Hawaiian term that means family. If anyone's ever seen the Lilo and Stitch movie, it's where they say Ohana means family, and family means no one gets left behind or forgotten. I also teach it as an acronym for O-H-A-N-A. And then I have hand gestures, which of course you can't see on a podcast, but you'll hear it also in the tone of voice to help remember it, is it's Ohana. And you would say that with your hand on your heart and with a loving attitude, a family attitude. And then I stir the hands like I'm stirring in nice, comfortable, warm water is Oasis. And then like bringing a bunch of things together, harmony. Because assertiveness is strong, that's assertiveness. And then nobility has some flash and flair of nobility. And then for aloha, kind of you would expect a Hawaiian performer to do it on stage if you're visiting Hawaii is aloha. And oasis, harmony, assertiveness, nobility, and aloha embodies the idea of ohana. So ohana is family. Oasis is to be a refreshing refuge. Harmony is infinite diversity and infinite combinations aimed at greatness. Assertiveness is moving forward on purpose with respect for others. I'm pausing just a moment on that one because this is critical is assertiveness and aggressiveness often get used too interchangeably for my taste. So when I say assertiveness is moving forward on purpose with respect for others, aggressiveness by contrast is moving and specifically without respect for others. And most people who have made a change angry and aggressive have noticed that sometimes it changes for the better. Sometimes the changes for the worse. Sometimes the part of the change was for the better came with a cost that they really didn't mean to have because of the lack of respect for others. But uh, that part of assertiveness is you have to know what your forward is. What do you want it to look like? And you do it on purpose. And so there's a double meaning with on purpose. Part of it is with intentionality. And another part of it was aimed at that larger purpose. And then you do it with respect for others. Nobility is to be our highest and best selves. And then aloha means love. In Hawaii, they use uh, aloha for a hello and a goodbye. So you use it in both uh, contexts and it means love. And love, I define with a simple three-part definition. And that is, one, I want the best for you. Two, I want to be the best for you. And three, I want you to have transcendent joy. I feel so privileged now since Jenny has introduced you to me. I have been seeking 
this sort of counsel for months and Jenny goes on and on about you and what you've done to help her post her divorce. I'm still trying to move on. I I want to move forward and give my ex my best self, but the history, the history and just the BS, you know, the BS has really strained the relationship. Uh, That's why I'm looking towards adapting the Ohana way moving forward. We still have kids together. You know, sure, I don't want to be married to him anymore or be in a romantic relationship anymore. That's not what I'm struggling to get over. What I'm struggling to get over is the history and how to show him respect, treat him as a uh, co-parent you know that's the collaboration that I want with him going forward and I don't know that I can do that with everything that's gone on now a lot of the effectiveness of this communication start goes from the framework you come in with and so we back up to the square now and the, the ohana uh, what they call ohana 101 uh, framework from even if you just have the Ohana Ways fundamentals, let's see, what, what, what chapter is it in, in the fundamentals? Chapter three in the fundamentals and chapter, it is chapter four of hero, villain, victim. Here's a simple definition. The hero is the one who makes it better. The villain is the one who makes it worse. The victim is the one for whom it is made worse. Now, this is what tends to happen. If you and I are getting together because there's a problem and I'm going to talk to you about it. Well, suppose it's your behavior has created this negative situation. The normal human thing is, I go, Melanie, you're the villain. Basically, I'm arguing, you made this worse. You did this, you did that. And this is your fault. It's because of you. Well, suppose like we literally have like one hour to talk. Like I have another meeting at the top of the next hour. So we have 60 minutes to talk. And for the first half hour, we're having this argument, debate, or I'm on a rant about how you're the bad guy. You're the villain. You're the one who made it worse. This is your fault. I'm the victim. You're the villain. And you finally get to the place after half an hour. It's like, okay, fine, Scott, I'm the villain. I made it worse. I always make it worse. It's, it's who I am. It's what I do. It's my habit. It's my pattern. Fine, you win. What do you want from me? Well, chances are, what do I want from you? Do I want you to keep making it worse? Or do you think I probably want you to make it better? Make it better. I want you to make it better. Now, make it better. Which role was that? The hero, the villain, or the victim? The hero. Yep. So halfway through our one hour, now I go, so... Now that I've convinced you you're the villain and you've just given up arguing with me, now I want you to be the hero. I want you to make it better. And you go, well, if my goal is to recruit you as my hero, why did I spend the first half hour convincing you you're the villain? I just wasted half of my time. And if I win that argument, I just got you landed solidly in the exact opposite role I want you in. I want you in the make it better role. Why am I arguing the make it worse role? If I win the argument, I lose what I really want because what I really want is the hero. So if I kick it off with, there is a problem and I would like your help. So I walk in with, 
I'm looking to you to help me make it better. Now, people go, well, wait, but if there's a victim, if there is one for whom it is made worse, whether the one for whom it is made worse is me or when you're co-parenting, if you're concerned, the one for whom it is made worse is your child or your children. Mm -hmm. Well, do you want to go to the other parents and say, you're messing up our kids. You're the villain, 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 until they finally say, fine, I'm the villain. What do you want from me? Be the hero. Is it? Then why did we waste the first half of that conversation on villain? But people go that, okay, but someone's got to be the villain, right? But, well, there is a villain. The villain is the problem. If the villain is the problem, not the person. Here's, here, now, I can prove it. Here's, a, here, here's how we can tell. So suppose, uh, Melanie, you and I have a connection. And for whatever reason, you know, we're hanging out together. And you pick up a stick and you hit me <sighs> over the head. I go, ow, what was that for? You go, oh, well, obviously Melanie's the victim. She's a stick hitter person. Okay, well, suppose you didn't hit me with a stick. Suppose this person sitting next to you picked up the stick and hit me with a stick. Am I still mad at you? No, you shouldn't be. No, the stick yeah. hitting was the other person. So I don't have a problem with you. I have a problem with the mm -hmm. stick hitting. The villainy followed the behavior, not the human being. So that tells you, okay, the person is not the problem. The problem mm -hmm. is the problem. And the problem is the villain. Yeah. Now, in particular, if you did the stick hitting and it could have been like, I'm sorry, there was a total accident. I, I picked up the stick. It was bigger and longer than I thought. It was awkward. I accidentally smacked you in the head. I apologize. Well, I mean, that puts you in the best position to fix future stick hitting because you go, okay, you know, this, it was this big, long, awkward thing. It was weighted funny. I wasn't paying attention to how close that came to you. I'm sorry. I can know I can be more careful next time. And so the person who has the most power, the people who are involved in the behavior, and I could be like, oh, you know, I saw it was big and awkward. I would probably have benefited from taking two steps back when I saw that you were fiddling with this giant six foot long, awkward thing. And so now we can collaborate and both be heroes simultaneously as partners solving the problem, which is what I want anyway. I want the problem solved. And so the hero, villain, victim is just be cognizant of what role you're taking and be cognizant of what role you're recruiting the other person to. And so now if we have a problem, I go, okay, Melanie, there's a situation I would like your help with. Can I talk to you about it? It's a whole different conversation. It's, Melanie, you're bad, and I don't like it, and I want to, we need to talk. It's like you're going, well, you know, you're probably not super anxious to have that conversation. Yeah. I go, okay, Melanie, there's a situation I would like your help with, and I would like to have a conversation about it when you're available. There's a whole different feel to it. And then if we have the conversation, I was like, okay, well, when we got together, you did that. Okay, well, now you're back to the, that you had a good setup, your execution could have used the help. But by coming and I maintain the hero, villain, victim frame where you, I'm recruiting you to be a hero. You and I are going to be heroes working together to solve the problem. That's my attitude coming in. 
And I want to understand where it may begin with, okay, well, you know, we were together. I got hit in the head with a stick. I, I, I would prefer not to be hit in the head with a stick. And so can you help me understand how that happened? And you go like, oh, you know, it was big. It was, I didn't, I wasn't trying to hit you in the head with a stick. I just wasn't paying attention. Then, okay, what can I do to not get hit in the head? So, well, you know, I'll try to be more careful, but if you see me, fiddling with a big long thing again it's probably safer if you take like two steps back so you're kind of out of range because i can't always tell how far back there it goes and you go okay we can do it. problem suddenly solved and we don't need the half hour of you bad you bad you bad we, we just get right to the solution and some solutions are easy some solutions are hard some solutions are admittedly impossible but that's when we get to that circle now if you took notes on the circle What's in the circle? Change. Change. Now there's a change sequence. If we haven't already come to the answer before we even get to discussing the answer, and often we will, the change comes in four steps. Step one is a request. I just ask you to do something. Now, it could be as simple a thing as we, we both agree getting hit in the head is bad. We both agree that the stick is awkward. We both agreed that it would be better if you're more careful and better if I step back. But then next time comes and we, we just forget. And the request could be as simple a thing as, could you just let me know when you're doing something like that so that I can know to step back? And it's a, a simple request. And so next time you're doing it, say, oh, okay, I'm about to try to move one of these things again. You know, and these giant light sticks with the light up on top. And, and you know, I, I, I've hit people before. So if you just like, you know, take a couple of steps back, that would make me feel a lot better. Oh, and, and can you move that cup of water? Because there's a probability that's going to get flung on. The, okay, thank you. And then, then you go do your thing. And so it works on a simple request. The next level is called a training boundary. Now, now boundaries come from Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Um, a training boundary is a, a Scott Conway thing. The boundary, it's not a controlling rule. It's okay, here's our line. We've agreed to this line. Or maybe if you don't even agree to it, but that's an enforcement boundary. It says, but you might have certain habits of just doing things inadvertently that keep crossing the line because it's a pattern of behavior. So a training boundary is just a right to remind. Now, in a co-parenting situation, it might be as simple a thing as, there might be a habitual habit and that, you know, and, and we'll take it the other way. We'll say you as a, the mom have agreed to do a certain thing differently, but you also have a longstanding pattern of doing things a certain way and that you've agreed, okay, to this new thing and you agreed to the training boundary of if you see me or you're unsure if I'm going to do it according to our agreement, you have a right to ask or to remind and that that's totally okay. And the training boundary is usually by agreement because sometimes people resent agreements because it shows a lack of trust. But an agreed to training boundary shows compliance with an agreement that we agreed to this. And something you can just ask is because I know we have a long-standing pattern and we have, we have habits that have worked it for us in the past, in order to make this change, is it okay if I just ask you about it or I remind you of it? Can I ask a quick question here? Absolutely. You, you are the host. You can ask any question you want, anytime you want. Well, just for clarity. So when we're asking for training boundaries, you said we're, we're reminding the person 
right? What exactly? Because I know, like, I might, because of my past behavior, I might be tempted to maybe gaslight a little bit. I, I'd probably say, like, well, if you remember, you know, you haven't always been so organized and you tend to procrastinate. So X, Y, Z, I shouldn't do that. Right. That's not the kind of reminder you're referring to. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and here is like a concrete example uh, of something sim simple that doesn't have any emotional charge to it. So suppose uh, we mentioned a book. Uh, and and we'll, we'll say I grabbed a book that was near me and said, love is just damn good business. And you say like, oh, I, I would love to see that book. Can I have it when, or, or ha have it when you're done so I can read it and I'll give it right back. And I go, oh yeah, sure, absolutely. Okay, well now we have an agreement. But, but the next thing is, okay, after I finish it, I have to remember to bring it to you. Now suppose I see you and say, oh, by chance have you finished that book? Like, oh, I did, I just forgot to bring it. Well, an example of a training boundary would be, okay, we have an agreement and the training boundary would be, okay, well, so that we can help make sure that the book gets to me, is it okay if I text you a reminder to put the book in your car? And I might go, oh, oh yeah, sure. Because now my side is ah, one less thing I have to remember. It's like, and then can you text me back when it's in your car so then both of us can just like let it go and we know it's there. And then later on, you text me the reminder, go, oh, yep, so, well, the, put the book in the car, book's in the car. Text you back, book's in the car. Now, neither one of us needs to think about it until we see each other. Then I see you and you go, oh, that book. You go, oh, oh, it's in the car. <laughs> and then I just walk over to my car and I go pick it up. And so things like that are examples of very simple uh, training bounds where you don't even have to go, well, no, Scott, you, you, you have a history of forgetting books and you're saying you're going to bring something and then you don't. And, and because you're so forgetful and you, you're not smart enough to figure this out for yourself, let me help you not be so stupid. But if we show up with the attitude of, okay, let me make this as easy as possible because I am asking you to do something and it's not fair for me to like dump more work on you. So let me accept some of the responsibility of sending you a reminder. And then you just let me know that, you know, the part is done. So we both know it's done. And then neither one of us have to think about it until the next time. And so it's about making it easy on, on the other person. And it's about... I will accept some of the responsibility. I will share responsibility for this. So if I forget to text you the reminder, that's on me. So next time you forget the book because I didn't text you, then we both forgot the book. You didn't forget it. We forgot it. And so it's a way of that. Now we are teammates. Now, by the way, when you practice doing this in like simple little things, like here's a book. And let's practice collaboration on a stupid, silly thing, a tiny thing. There's no emotion connected to it at all. We begin a pattern. Because if you have a history of conflict, you have a history of, of the bickering at each other. Sometimes trying to deal with a bigger issue as the first thing out of the gate, you find daunting. But if you can make it something tiny, and you begin with something tiny, it can be so much easier to begin because like, okay, I don't have all this anxiety of I'm trying to deal with like the big bad in our co-parenting relationship. I'm just gonna try something small. 
And it, it could be like if you're trading a, an infant or a toddler, it's like, oh, can you do me a favor and just send over one extra diaper because I'm going to need to go shopping for more diapers after I pick up the baby? And it's, oh, yeah, sure, I can do that. Is it, um, can I text you a reminder and you just text me to let me know there's an extra diaper in the diaper bag or that you got an extra diaper in the car for me? And they go, okay, well, I mean, there's not going to be a big emotional charge over something so simple. And, and it goes like, ah, okay, one down. And it worked. I got an extra diaper. And you can do that even if you really don't need an extra diaper. And it gives practice to the system. Practice of using the hero, villain, victim framework and coming to sometimes an even antagonistic partner with a hero frame. And as we call, you have the framework, you have the mindset, you're going to filter all of this through. This person is there to make it better. They are there to help me solve the problems. Even if the problems sometimes arrive through them, it's the problem that's the villain, not the person. Just like if it's, it's Melanie hit me with the stick or if it's Joe hit me with the stick. Doesn't matter. It's the stick that's the problem. The stick hitting. I just don't want to get hit in the head with a stick anymore. And then you can start to treat your ex-partner, your co-parent partner, as someone who can help you parent. And if something happens you don't agree with, and you just ask that, okay, you know, this happened, and help me understand it so that I see how I can work with you on this. What do you think I should do it different? Well, no, actually. Or maybe, I don't know, I don't understand it. If, if I understand it better, then we can partner with it more. And sometimes they'll have a point, you may disagree with the point, but that, that's one of the, the chapters in the Hana way is I have a point, you may also have a point. And if we understand that each side has a point and I'm trying to understand your point, and I'm gonna try to understand your point as or before I make my point. So that way my point is relevant to your point. And sometimes the, the things can work in contrast with one another. Like it's very, very typical, stereotypical, like 80-20 split, that women want to protect their children more and men want to let their children face their challenges more. And so it tends to worry mothers sometimes to no end that it looks like fathers are doing stuff with their children that some mothers are convinced they're going to get my kid killed. And that's a normal difference in parenting styles. And so sometimes when you try to understand someone's point, you go, okay, so I see what you're trying to do and I see what your concerns are. And say if I, as, as the father, I'm doing stuff that to you just seems like, oh, honey, it seems like you're putting the kids at risk. And then if I could help you understand what my agenda is with that. Well, you know, I want them more capable. I want to say, okay, can, can we like temper that with maybe a little more safety? Can you help me understand how letting the boys play on the roof is also taking into account their safety? Now, in my case, I actually had that discussion with my wife when her kids were up on the roof. Oh, while they were up on the roof? <laughs> while they were up on the roof. She came home and they were on the roof. <laughs> and, you know, and I explained to you, okay, here's what I did. The first three times, I took them on the roof. I was there with them. Mm -hmm. I taught them this set of skills. 
Every time we went up there, they tested on the previous set or sets so that I was comfortable that now they know their roof protocols. Mm -hmm. Next three times they went up on the roof, they did under my direct supervision, they have to be line of sight. And then the three times after that, then they did it without my line of sight supervision, but I'm outside and available. Oh, I see. And once they've demonstrated um, that progression of nine times, then by the 10th time, I just let them go play on the roof. <laughs> and I, I, I just ask them, like, okay, what are the rules? What are the protocols? Show me the skills. Okay, go. Have a good time. <laughs> oh, and my gosh. So there's an actual sequence. And now she admitted that, you know, it still made her heart race faster, but she goes, all right, that is about as safe as I can imagine allowing them to play on the roof and that it is important for, you know, the boys. And if we had daughters, we only had boys. So it's just the boys. Yeah. But, but, and for the girls, if they wanted to do it too, to learn how to do it safely, because that's a rather common innocuous thing that kids would go off and just go do, run around on roofs. Yeah. And I want them to learn and practice a skill set related to those skills. And I, I have this unique position that my martial arts style is a whole person, whole life martial arts. So I actually have actual techniques for that. Mm -hmm. It's based on our falls and rolls. Of, so if you lose your balance, here's how you don't fall off the roof. If you're tumbling off the roof, here's how you arrest your tumble. If you're doing this, here's how, here's how you lean over without falling off. Here's how you do this. And, and so there's actual techniques, those actual skills. And it's like, here's number one, number two, number three. And, and so it's really helpful for them mm -hmm. to know how to do it because a lot of, especially you know, older men who mm -hmm. fall off of roofs, fall off of roofs because they made a 101 level mistake because they never learned it when they were young. And now they're, now they're grown up men thinking, I'm a grown up man. I can do what I want. It's like, well, yeah. you're allowed to do what you want. It doesn't mean you know how to do what you want. And so, you know, I wanted them to learn skills. And in particular for me is learn how to think about it because the learning how to think about it will then help them evaluate and figure out what to do with other things too. I see. Well, I had another question. If we can circle back real quick, we were talking about the change sequence when I interrupted you. You, you said that there was four points to the change sequence. I don't remember if you touched on those. Yeah, we did number one was a request, and then number two was a training boundary. We kind of stuck around in those two areas because ideally that's what you want to do. Yeah. Number three is an enforcement boundary. Now, this is different than a rule because a, a rule is I will punish you if you don't do this right. It's trying to be controlling. A boundary is, okay, here's the line. And if you do not honor the line, I will take away your ability to not honor that line. Oh, okay. And so sometimes that's appropriate. And then number four is to change the relationship. Okay. And so number one is a request. And that's the lightest touch. Number two is a training boundary. And that, that's a collaborative system. And so that's now we will work together so that the, this line gets honored. Number three is an enforcement boundary when someone willfully keeps crossing a line and you have a way to remove their ability to cross the line. Okay. Because sometimes oh. you don't have a way. 
And so if you don't have okay. a way, then you look at, at stage four is in what way can we change the relationship so that we can have good stuff happening? Mm. Now, in changing the relationship, there's different levels of it, because especially when you're co-parenting, you want to make the smallest change that will still work. Yeah. And so the smallest change it will still doesn't mean you end the relationship entirely. I mean, you may need to if there's like you know serious abuse involved, then that's okay. We I need to take the necessary steps, which would include legal steps, to terminate this completely. Mm-hmm. But you know, much less than that is like, okay, maybe we just need to adjust like a schedule. Maybe we need to adjust like how we go about a transfer. Maybe we need to adjust and instead of meeting halfway, because like you know, sometimes I've had parents where one was in San Diego, one was in Tucson, they would meet in Yuma. And their transitions mm. always went very smoothly. But if one of them had a habit of not showing up in Yuma on time, so, oh, I'm almost there. And by almost there, they mean I'm four hours away. Well, that, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. not as helpful because now right. they're constantly making you wait. And then if you show up to drop off the kids and go, oh, what's that today? Okay, I'm leaving now. And, you know, and then you a training boundary not, doesn't work and you you can't really do much of an enforcement boundary. And well, I'm just not going to bring the kids if I don't know you're going to be there because you have a court order that says you have to do that and it's for the kids. Yeah. But then you change the relationship to figure, okay, how can we create a new relationship where this is no longer what's happening? Yeah, I feel that. The problem is that things get so sticky. I love this hero villain victim framework that you have here because uh i know i go in there with the best of intentions i really do uh but i end up always feeling like the villain at the end and now i have now i have this tool that you've taught me here by the way incidentally when someone's trying to make Mm -hmm. you the villain if you externalize that okay well people aren't villains problems are villains so what is the exact problem you're actually talking about that is making it worse oh you're asking me personally uh, well, well I, I, you don't even need to answer that like <laughs> on a specific question but that, that's the attitude you go okay he's trying to make me right. feel like the villain i happen to know i am not the villain i am the hero because my role here right. is to make it better right. So if there's a villain, the villain has to be a problem. Now, if there's no concrete problem, then that means it's just gaslighting. If he has a point, well, then within his point means there's a concrete problem. And the definition of a problem is something with a solution. Right. If there is no solution, there is no problem. It's a fact of life. I guess the only thing that I would honestly scares me and hinders me from applying this is I'm I'm so used to him shutting down and not letting me in, you know, uh, not just from the marriage, but even currently when we get together to collaborate, all of our conversations are via text and I want to talk. So he'll avoid the conversation. He'll say, oh, well, we don't have anything to discuss. Just text it. <laughs> Which is okay. Cause then, you know, all right. So he feels safest texting. Mm-hmm. So now I can craft the same, the whole same approach via text. Mm-hmm. Now, and, and part of it too is say with, um, well, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll take you and I. And for whatever reason, you're just not comfortable being alone with me. 
or could be that you don't feel safe because you know, you're, you're like you know, the woman who had me background checked before our first date. And like, or it could be that you're, you know, just, just concerned with anything in the interaction. And you're like, I would feel a lot safer not meeting in person. I'm like, well, I really prefer to deal with this in person. Well, if we meet in person, there's always going to be this apprehension because whatever reason you had for not meeting in person is in play for you even if it's not in play for me. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if you feel much safer, like communicating by Zoom or by phone call or in writing, because it could be one of those things where if I say something to you and it prompts an emotional reaction to you and we are communicating live in real time, you will tend to react based on that emotion. Yeah. But if it's in writing and you go like, okay, um, I'm going to put that down right now and calm down and let me look at it in like 10 minutes. And in 10 minutes, you look at it and go like, oh, okay, I, I see what he's going for. It's like the first time I had a, a, a conversation with it, this one will resonate with you, where uh, I was talking to a businesswoman who excused herself because her daughter was calling. There had been some ongoing medical stuff and she wanted to take the, take the call. Mm -hmm. And she came back and she was so apologetic. And I asked her, can I make a request, please? And she said this adrenaline bomb goes off and says like, oh my God, I'm about to get reamed out for being so unprofessional and how could you? And we're doing business and, and you know, we're, you're supposed to be a businesswoman and what are you doing with this mom thing? And what I asked of her is, instead of apologizing for being a good mom, could you thank me for understanding that you had an important mom thing to do? I would appreciate your gratitude as opposed to your apology. Your apology makes it sound like you're doing a bad thing. And I don't think you're doing a bad thing. And she's like, oh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> but, you know, that, that first emotional reaction to the, I have a request and this is all of the emotion. Well, if she had reacted in that fear-based emotion, like I'm about to get reamed by this professional guy who's a lawyer. So, I mean, he, he's a professional reaming person. And I'm about to get cross-examined or something. And, and so if someone prefers to communicate by text because they'll have less of a reaction mm -hmm. or they prefer to communicate by text because they want a record of what was actually said. And that's often how I, why I like to communicate in writing. Because if you and I have a misunderstanding and you totally took something I said out of context, mm -hmm. I can go look to see, okay, well, did I typo something? Did I, put, like, did I miss a critical not in front of a this? And where I can look at my communication, I can see, okay, this, this is what I thought I said. Read it carefully. It's like, oh, okay. I see a couple of places where that was unclear. I understand how they could misunderstand it that way. Right. And sometimes it's just like, no, I thought it was pretty clear. Maybe I can format this a little bit better for them and do it in like bullet points. Right. And it, and if I'm receiving communication and writing, it helps take out the emotion of it. And I can, it's like, okay, well, I have a reaction to that, but like, what's the real point in there? And so some people just prefer it that way for a number of reasons and go like, mm -hmm. okay, well, if that's what it's going to be, then that's what it's going to be. But you can still use the strategy. And then if someone feels relaxed and comfortable, they go, you know, we haven't had like a problem by text like in forever. I guess we can have like longer conversations when we're exchanging custody on the kids. Like we'll see how that goes. We'll, we'll see how like a two minute exchange goes. Right. Eventually they get much more relaxed and much more comfortable and you actually start to develop a good co-parenting relationship. But it takes time. It can take months. And there's always a possibility it never happens. 
But then here's the, the key thing. It may never be good, but it can be better. Sometimes the best you can get is it's less bad. Well, I'll take less bad over more bad. Mm -hmm. And on the process, if the process seems daunting, that's when you started on something small. You find what is the tiniest request I could make, one that I don't even need, so that if the answer is no or it gets blown somehow, it doesn't matter. I don't actually need it. But I can make a small request using this process just to give it a try and see if it can make it better. Because one of the things with any system, and the Ohana way is no different, it's 80-20 it's rule. It'll work 80% of the time. 80% of the time, it'll make things better. And sometimes it just won't because nothing works 100% of the time. That's just the nature of, of dealing with human psychology. But if you look at it, this is what I usually will tell people. If you have a system you think will work better than that, use the one that you think will work better. But if you don't have a system that will work better, give this a try. See what will happen. God, Scott, I I love your positivity. Honestly, you're such a great guy. I'm, I know I'm totally fangirling right now. <laughs> you give me so much hope, honest to God. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate all of your advice in this. And you know, I'm going to be hitting you up for more of it in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I know when, when you're hitting on me, it's like, podcast, podcast. <laughs> and that will be 100% okay. Anything that will serve you and your audience, I am happy to contribute because as I said, when I met you and Jenny together, uh, it's just like, if Jenny sets it up, my answer is yes, unless there's a good reason for it to be no. And I give you the same offer. If you need a thing from me for appearing on, on your show, my answer is yes, unless I have a good reason for it to be no. Oh, no, thank you so much. I, I really do feel so much better about uh, communicating with him now after this conversation. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, aloha. <laughs> That's great. For more information on the Ohana Conversation and the Ohana Way 2.0 30th Anniversary Edition, head over to Amazon.com and type in Scott Conway. That's Scott S-C-O-T, Scott with one T, Conway, C-O-N-W-A-Y. You can also find Grandmaster Scott Conway on Facebook at the handle Grandmaster Scott. For more information on Tales of a Latin Mommy, you can find me at talesofalatinmommy.com or www.aventurasstalesoalatin. M-A-M-I dot com. That's mommy with an I, not mommy with a Y. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you can check out my pages at Tales of a Latin Mommy. Stay tuned for more fun from Tales of a Latin Mommy. Adios.